Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Clarifying Christianity, and it is part of the New Church Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Everything they sang about and talked about today, we, most of us have experienced it. I pray for the person who hasn't, that before they leave today, they'll make that connection with you, that they can experience your goodness. In Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Good, good spirit here today. It's wonderful. Um, I want you to let you know we have a wonderful Bible reading program. Megan Pear done such a, did such a beautiful job of creating a, a summer reading program that goes with a sermon series. And we messed up last week and forgot to hand them out. So we decided rather than trying to hand out one at a time, we just give you the rest of the summer. So uh, on your way out today, uh, the ushers will be back there and they'll have those uh, reading plans. And uh, it's also on the app. And many of you are following on the app and I I think that's an awesome way to do it. Uh, I prefer it, I, even though I'm not uh, in the digital, I, I, you know, I didn't grow up in the digital age like some of you didn't. I really like it. <laughs> and I really like having, because I'm really disorganized, so I kind of, things got, get all scattered out now. Everything's in my phone now, and everything's in my iPad. And it's a, it's a simplifies my life. So I highly recommend it. But if you just uh, would rather have a piece of paper, that's fine. We have that for you. And also the survey, that survey is really important. You know, like if it's an opinion survey, then we don't need 100% to participate. You know, we have, I don't know what percentage gives you a sample. We just need a sample when it's an opinion survey. This is not an opinion survey. We actually want to find out if you plan to come to the 9 o'clock service or the 11 o'clock service. We want to know which one you plan to come to or if you plan to come to both. We want to know and uh, how many people that represents. So, so we want to really plan this very carefully. And so if you, uh, if you, if you do it on the app, that's fantastic. Uh, but if you would l- prefer to do it on paper, raise your hand. I'm going to put one in your hand right now. Raise your hand if you want, to, if you want a uh, paper copy. And uh, Phil, I'd like for you to do it now. We're going to be doing something else here in a minute that we want you to focus on, but it, it, it may not require the intense focus that I expect when I start preaching the sermon. So, uh, so, we're gonna, so feel free to fill that out now, and, and then right before I, I, right before I read our text today, I'll have the ushers come back and take everyone that's been finished up. And uh, I think you can do it in that amount of time. If for some reason you can't, then we will take it out to Connection Central, hand it to an usher on the way out, get it back to us some way, all right? Okay, I'm really excited about talking to someone from the parking lot right now, and we just appreciate the parking lot ministry so much and the parking lot team. So uh, give everybody, give Bob Houston a big hand. Now, good morning. Everybody that serves on the parking lot team that's in here, I think, I think there, some of them are still out there. Stand up if you serve on the parking lot team. I think everybody's still out there. Everybody's still out there. All two of them. Who's, who's that back there? I can't. Tom Mateer. Tom Mateer, great parking lot minister. So I'm going to ask Bob a few questions about serving out there. 
And I'm going to lead up to talk about the two services. But first of all, Bob, how long have you been at Bethany Christian Church, Community Church? About 10 years now. 10 years. How long have you been a Christian? About 10 years now. <laughs> well, I'm thrilled that we had a part in that. That's awesome. How many of you had Bob has painted something at your house? <laughs> Not enough hands. Not enough. <laughs> Bob painted the, the downtown, most of the painting downtown, later. him in Gleason, Nazarino. Um, so how long have you served on the parking lot team? Uh, since its beginning, actually. Okay. Tell me how long that was, because I don't remember. I don't remember either. It was, okay. It's been quite a few years. Um, <laughs> you asked me to uh, join the team when we were at the gym one night, bulking up. <laughs> And that worked out I'm well. Because <laughs> they would say, the you two at the gym? They would like... <laughs> so, what do you like most about serving in the parking lot? Everybody's team? so friendly. Yeah. And uh, we're the first line of welcoming. That's great. But it's, uh, you know, I enjoy it. The so fresh important. air, except the winter. Yeah. <laughs> So what, what do you think the purpose of God is in, in that ministry? What do you think God's purpose is? And what do you sense the, the Lord sends you out there to do? Welcome everybody yep. and, uh, you know, make them feel comfortable. Amen. And give them plenty of room to park, which is getting a little tight. Okay. We'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, are there Sundays when it's challenging to... Yes. You're at a parking place? Um, yes, but yeah. in a, uh, it's a good thing because uh, noticeably more and more people are coming to church. A lot of new faces. That's great. And that's a good thing, um, but we're running out of space. Well, you know, um, did you have some concerns? We, we did two services on Easter, and did you have some concerns going into that service? And tell me how it went. It went really well, actually. Um, Brandy was concerned about people coming and going. Oh, you weren't concerned, but Brandy was. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, it went really you, well. You mean she was concerned about the transition? Of yeah, people cars driving out, out first while service. cars are driving in. And uh, it, ran, it went really well. I think uh, the two-service thing is good because we're running out of place to park the cars. Right, right. I yeah. wanted... I wanted them to hear it from the parking lot team that that's the that's truth. coming from a professional. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have my vest on. So I should have wore it. Would you Would you recommend? Well, another thing we're going to need in two services, we're going to need more people serving. We're going to need more people serving all over the place. But uh, would would you recommend parking lot team as a place to serve even in the winter? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, um, it's a fun place to be. Yeah. You got a lot of great guys out there. I enjoy yeah. stopping and having a word with you guys when I come in in the morning. And uh, just, we just, I just want you to know, all of us here, uh, we really appreciate what you and all the other people do out there. Thank you so much. God bless you. He told me when I asked him to, to come up here, he said, "Well, you know, I'm really shy, but I don't think so." So Bob will be on the preaching team really soon. So you could go from the parking lot team to the preaching team at Bethany. 
So, let's get into the word. Uh, oh, by the way, did you finish the survey? If you're finished, raise your hand. Ushers, get out there and gather them up, please. And we're going to go to Acts chapter 15. And it's, I think it may say 1 through 11. We're going to read that many verses. Uh, this was a challenging chapter because it has a lot of verses. You really need to read the whole chapter. But I didn't want to just stand here and read the whole chapter. I do recommend you do that on your own. In fact, you might want to just open your Bible and kind of let your eyes scan down through the whole chapter because it's really an important, an important um, transition. It's an important transition that happened with the early church. For those of you that knew the service today, and uh, by the way, welcome to our Chinese friends, and we're, we're really uh, glad, uh, appreciative and happy to have Stephen Chen here who, and his wife uh, Mary, I think is Mary. Uh, who are uh, the, the head of the company that's been bringing these students here. Is Stephen, are you here? Where's Stephen? Well, there's Stephen right there. And everybody go give Stephen a hand. And uh, go meet him. He's a really an, uh, a wonderful, interesting, interesting man. And so uh, we're, we're talking about that thing that happened after Christ rose from the dead. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and what came out of that was what we might call a new church. It, it would appear that it, had, it was a church that never existed before. But we know that the church existed before Acts chapter 1. We know that there was, the church was present before that. But some, many, many things radically changed. And what we're going to see this morning is that most of those who were, were initially came to Christ, most of those who initially accepted Christ as Savior and Savior of the world and believed that He was the Messiah risen from the dead, most of them were Jewish. And as the Gentiles and the non-Jews, the Greeks and Romans, began to come to faith and begin to join the church, we have this clash of cultures that is to be expected, right? We have this clash of cultures. And Acts 15 is where we see the clash of cultures. And it, it provides, it, it was definitely ordained of God. Because this clash of cultures, anytime you have a clash of cultures, it calls for clarity. It is a moment of clarity whenever you have a clash of cultures. We're having it in America today. We're having it in the church world today. And I don't want to expand on that because we don't have time. But we're having a, starting to have a clash of cultures. And what it's, what it's producing is we're having to dig a little deeper and find out, well, what do we really believe? What do we really believe about uh, marijuana is legalized now? Does that mean it's something the Christian ought to be doing? Sexuality, we all know how that's had a clash of cultures. What about sexuality? It forces the church to come together and say, now, what, what does the Bible really say? What do, it's really a good thing. It's really a great thing when we're forced to have clarity. So I'm going to, I, I, I really borrowed a lot of the ideas from this message from Tim Keller. As I listen to different people preaching on Acts 15, Tim Keller just did it the best. And he, he does a sermon called Gospel, Gospel Clarity, I believe it's called, Clarifying the Gospel. And so I, I borrowed a lot from him, so if you happen to be a connoisseur of sermons, you might run across and you say, Pastor, got that from Tim Keller, and, and I'm just going to admit it. Yes, I did. So don't fire me from ple for plagiarism. 
because I'm going to borrow from Tim Keller pretty heavily, but I changed it up so you probably won't even recognize it <laughs> from Tim Keller. But uh, yeah, I call, it, I call it clarifying Christianity. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This made all the brothers very glad. Now, this morning I want to touch on what it means to be saved. But more importantly, talk to you about what it takes to be saved. Uh, I, I was, I've been very intrigued of how the concept of being saved really, really looked to a Jewish person. And I was, I was blessed to find the word in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 33. It says, Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will, be tr- you will trample down their high places. So they had that concept of being saved and they had this concept of what it took to be saved. What it took to be saved to a Jewish person was to read the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the laws of Moses. What it took was to read and adhere to the Torah. They, they elevated the Torah. They would take the Torah when they would bring it into the temple. They would kiss it and they would lift it up because they exalted the Torah. And we see something really, we start to see a shift though. If you notice that, that scripture that I, that I read to you about being saved had to do with uh, being saved from your physical enemies. And it had to do with with the nation of Israel succeeding in battle. And um, when, we, when we get into the, the, the book of Acts and we get into talking about Jesus and we see as the Gentiles begin to come to Christ, this turns from a national uh, salvation to a more of a personal salvation. In fact, let me read, give you a quote uh, uh, from, from, from uh, David Zaslow from his book, Jesus' First Century Rabbi. He said, the Jewish focus on sanctification of the world was steadily losing ground to the Christian theology of spiritual salvation and the condition of the soul after death, rather than merely the consecration of earthly activities. Now, this is a a Jewish rabbi who's writing this. To the early church, the question, are you saved, no longer meant, are you being rescued from physical harm, but are you assured of your place in the world to come through the blood of Jesus? who died and was resurrected as the only means of atonement for your sins. I'll bet most of you this morning, when you think of being saved and you think of salvation, that's what you think of. You think of what will my condition be in the world to come, in the life to come. Will the blood of Jesus assure that I, me, that I will live forever with God, that I will live forever in that next realm, whatever that next realm is like. And, and the, the Jewish had that concept to some degree, except they didn't have a real clear concept of what the next realm would be, what the eternal life would be. He said, uh, are you saved? No longer men are you being rescued from physical harm, but are you assured of your place in the world to come through the blood of Jesus who died and was resurrected as the only means of atonement for your sins? The Egyptians, Persians, and the Greeks, they also had 
savior stories too. They had uh, Hercules was the big savior in in uh, Greek mythology, and Luke, the writer of Acts, was was Greek, so he probably thought about that. And the you know perhaps Hercules was the most Christ-like figure, and we see him venturing down to Hades for the purpose of bringing up Persephone, the daughter of Zerus, and he saves her out of hell, right? He saves her out of Hades. So Christ enters the picture and is accepted as the true Savior of humanity. Most of us, those early Christians, were Jews, and that's where the drama began. A debate began about whether one could be saved without being culturally Jewish and coming under the regulations of the Torah. So in today's message, I want to talk to you about Christian accuracy, Christian liberty, and Christian community. These are the three things that I draw out of this chapter. Christian accuracy, what, what, is, what is Christianity really about? And what does the gospel really say to us today? Now, Christian accuracy first. Now, this debate was important for two primary reasons. This debate that they had did a Christian, did a Gentile have to be circumcised? Now, I, I imagine if, uh, if, if, if we taught circumcision as having anything to do with uh, church membership, I imagine the, new, the newcomer's class would be very small. <laughs> it would be like all the guys are, honey, you just go ahead and go to that class. <laughs> I'm not going, right? <laughs> but uh, it, it, while it's fair to, to think about the, the kind of uh, gruesome idea of circumcision, it's also, we also need to realize it, it was more than just circumcision. It was the whole, it was the whole package of, of ceremonial, clean laws, how far you could walk on, on the Sabbath day, what you could pick up and what you couldn't pick up, what you could eat and not eat, what was considered, what you could touch and not touch, what would make you unclean and require ceremonial cleansing. There was a whole range of ceremonial laws, clean laws, health laws, civil laws, relational laws, all kinds of laws that they had. And, and these, these, these Jewish, some of these Jewish Christians were saying, okay, we'll, t- we'll accept Jesus, but we have to, you have to culturally become Jewish. Now, two reasons this debate was really important. One is Christianity and salvation by grace and the idea that Jesus is our Savior could forever be lost if the message got swaddled up by Jewish culture and Jewish laws. That's one problem that they were dealing with. And the second reason that this debate was very important is Christianity would be destroyed just as quickly if the sensuality and the sexuality and the paganism of the Gentile world was allowed to run rampant. So Christianity was now caught in the middle of these two struggles. And this explains why the success of Apostle Paul, why why Apostle Paul, in spite of his great success out there preaching, he stopped everything he was doing and he came back to Jerusalem to be a part of this debate because he realized what was at stake. Now, if you wonder if Paul was important or not, think about this. You know you're important and you know you're successful if 2,000 years after you die, people are studying your writings every weekend. 
And not only, not only are they reading the whole text, but they're, 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 they're examining every word that you said and squeezing it for meaning and debating it. And, and so Apostle Paul is huge. And this man who was having such incredible success said, I'm going to stop everything I'm doing and I'm going to go back to Jerusalem with the other apostles because we got to talk this out because everything Christ died for could be lost. And here's what we discover. We discover... That truth matters most. I said, we discover that truth matters most. Now, we live in an individualistic culture, Tim Keller says. What matters is how I feel about things. We view love as something we experience. We view truth as something we have to submit to. We like feelings. And we like love. We're not so fond of truth that's not our final decision in what we believe today in, a, in American culture. Now, now, Stephen, I don't know if I'm correct, but my sense is that in Chinese culture, there is a desire to know what is true. There's more of an intellectual view of religion and Christianity. Whereas in American culture, we're all about the feelings the focus of the first century person was, in that tribal culture, the first century person was, is it true? They did not live in the world of feelings the way we do. Their focus was, is it true? The focus of the modern person is, is it helpful? <laughs> People will say this, works for me. Doesn't work for you? That's fine. Wait a minute. If Jesus rose from the dead, if Jesus was crucified, and he rose in three days, does it really matter if it's helpful? Does it really matter if it makes you feel a certain way? Lois Verberg, I think it's pronounced, it starts with a T, T-V-E-R-B-E-R-G. In her book, Walking in the Dust of, of, of Rabbi Jesus, I'm really loving as I get into the book of Acts, uh, going and discovering, I'm trying to see it from the Jewish mind, the Jewish mindset. And, and, and she writes this, and I, I wish I had it, put it on, uh, on a, uh, I believe it's in the app. And this is another reason you're going to need to download the app, because you'll get notes there that I don't make available to everybody. But um, this, quote, uh, this quote is kind of long, so you've got to listen carefully. But I think it's really important. She says, as wonderful as this passion for God might be, love is more than the tingling high a person gets from swaying to an hour of praise songs. Pastor Brian McLaren points out that some spiritual infatuation addicts wander from church to church looking for just the right combination of a tear-evoking message and a heart-swelling music to float away in spiritual euphoria. Certainly God's presence is real, and it can be quite palpable for some. The worshipful ecstasy of the feeling becomes all that matters. Responding to the message or joining the church. Sometimes I wonder if too many of us assume that the feeling is the whole point of worship. Worse than that, it's the whole point of Christianity. I think that's just so on point. Remember... Some of you remember, most of you don't. 
But some, some who were born, at, you know, in the 50s and 40s, like some of us, we remember B.J. Thomas singing, Hooked on a Feeling, High on Believing. <laughs> you remember that? Hooked on a Feeling, High on Believing. And that's Americana, man. That's the West, Western world. If it feels, you know, there was an old country song that Dave Dudley, remember Dave Dudley, truck driving man? Dave Dudley is, if it feels good, do it. <laughs> but the early church, and what they met, is they met to establish not how does it feel. I mean, the circumcision thing, that, that, would, that would certainly go with, uh, we don't... <laughs> With, 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 with people who wanted to feel better, right? But, but that wasn't it. If, if they would have determined that everyone had to be, all males had to be circumcised in order to be saved, that's what they would have done. They were there to determine what was true. Acts 15, verse 7 through 9, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brother, not you feel, but you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you so that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the hearts, showed us that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit. He's saying, okay, guys, what is true? What has happened? God has shown them that he might, from here, God, who knows the hearts, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did us. He made no distinction between us, between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. No matter how we feel, this is what is true. Simon Peter didn't feel good about it. We learn later. <laughs> if he had gone with his feelings, he would have joined the Judaizers. But he was a man who loved truth. Are you and I, do we love truth? Do you love truth? I believe you do. Truth is what God is making clear. It's very interesting that Simon Peter opened his address with brothers you know. There was no speculation. There was, there was falsehood and there was truth. There, there, there's one agreement between Jews and Christians. And that is God, and this is so important for Ameri Americans in, the, in, in, in 2019, in 2020. This is so important. One agreement between Jews and Christians, that is God determines truth. And he does it by his word. And he does it by his deeds. So many people say, Christians don't follow the, everything in the Bible. Have you heard that? Christians don't follow everything in the Bible. And this is the big argument of the new atheists. Sam Harris and guys like that. It's, they, where do they always go to tell us that we don't follow all the, all the, all the Bible? So some of you know, right? Which book of the Bible do they go to? Deuteronomy or Leviticus. They, go to, they usually go to Leviticus. You know, we don't follow everything in the Bible. But we're still under the authority of the Bible. That's the, that's the most unintellectual. These guys claim to be intellectuals, and that's the most unintellectual argument to say, Christians don't follow everything in the Bible. No, go find some verse in the Bible about mixing wool with linen. I saw some Christian wearing wool and linen together. <laughs> <laughs> we're still in the, see here's what we believe as Christians we have no right to put anything aside unless the Bible tells us we can put it aside 
And the Bible does tell us that we can put a lot of this stuff aside. The purpose of Leviticus. So why did God give them all those rules? That's a good question. And one I thought about for hours and hours. God, why did you give them all those rules? Some of those rules seemed so silly and unnecessary. You gave them these rules about, that control every aspect of their life. And Keller really answers that question. It was so, and, and actually I came up with different words, but, but I came up with the same conclusion before I even heard Tim, uh, Tim Keller say it. God wanted to keep, was determined, it was a very hard job he had to keep the message intact until Christ could come. These people couldn't have any wiggle room about anything or they would have dissolved, their culture would have dissolved just like all the other cultures would have dissolved. All the other cultures that fell apart, their culture would have fallen apart in the same way if there was any impurity allowed. So they had to have the strictest rules, and even then they barely made it. Once Christ came, Christ came to fulfill the law. And, and, and see, most of those regulations also, this is really important too, most of those regulations point to something more important. Like, like the defilement laws. If you touch a dead body and all kinds of things, if you touch different things, you would be defiled. Well, that's really important because we need to... And, and I, know, I know that there's a, there's a well-known, there's a well-known uh, pastor out there who's saying, unhitch from the Old Testament. That's a bad advice. That's really bad advice. Don't unhitch from the Old Testament. Unhitch from the Old Covenant but not the Old Testament, because the Old Testament has so much to teach you. The Old Testament has so much to teach you as, as you learn. I know it's hard to read, and I don't, I don't tell new Christians to go read through the Bible anymore, because it, they just get, they get to Leviticus, and they backslide. They quit serving God, because it's, <laughs> forget it, it's too hard, or they never read the Bible again. I'll just listen to the sermons on Sunday. That's enough Bible for me. No. The, the, the clean laws, the clean laws that are in Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy remind me that the world defiles me, and I need Jesus, and I need the Holy Spirit to cleanse me. Circumcision, as gross and uncomfortable as that conversation would be if we had it, it was, about, was about the cutting away of the flesh. And about the cutting away of the things of this world that I know that I need to cut away from my life if I'm going to have liberty and freedom in Christ and the freedom that I need to have. So all of those things, my dad used to love to talk about this subject. My dad loved to talk about types and shadows in the Old Testament. And they're so beautiful types and shadows. As you go along in your Christian faith, let me encourage you to study the Old Testament and get to know the Old Testament and all the beautiful types of Jesus. And it was given, the, 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 we, we owe such a debt to Jews. We owe such a debt to Israel because they bore the burden. They bore the burden of all those regulations and all those ceremonial laws. They bore that burden to, to illustrate to us the incredible, incomprehensible power of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that it all was fulfilled in Christ. That every clean law you read and every regulation that you read, every ceremonial regulation that you read, when Jesus died on the cross and said it is finished, He was saying, I have the power to be everything that the law of Moses was to you. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. 
The cornerstone principles of Jewish and Christian religion, and this is so important, guys, is that God is, God is truth, and our, our success and our survival are wholly dependent on God. We used to sing, he's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. That's the, that's the idea they sung. See, the, see, here's what the Jews were told. Here's what they learned. I've been reading the book of Exodus lately, and I've been reading, I've been reading everything that God allowed those people to go through. And I was, I was questioning the other day. So I'm reading through all the plagues, and I'm thinking, God, and I just, be honest with you, God, I just, you just seem very tedious sometimes. I mean, why don't you just, why don't you just in one swell, fell swoop, rescue your people from Egypt? But you've got to put everyone through this torture of ten plagues. And every plague, and you already know what's going to happen. You already know that Pharaoh's going to say, yes, I'll let you go. And then he's going to sleep on it and get up the next morning and go, no, I'm not letting you go. And he, his heart would get hard. And, and, and we don't have time to kind of get into that whole phrase, God hardened his heart. But, but we won't get into that this morning. But that's a real interesting study. But, but, but we, we see this. And, the, and, the, and the, 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 the Hebrews were coming to Moses say, stop. Stop trying to deliver us. This deliverance is killing us. Because <laughs> Pharaoh's getting mad and he's making them, making them uh, make bricks with no straw. And, and it's just horrible. And... In the end, he delivers them. And I feel like the Lord said to me, I, I had to show them that I was all they needed. I had to show them. I had to take them through that school so they would remember those ten plagues. And they would remember that as they went out into the world, as they went out into the world, they didn't need the world. They only needed me. They didn't need the approval of the nations around them. They didn't need the, the, the approval of their friends. All they needed for, for success and prosperity and provision, the only thing they needed was their God. And, and, and their God, God in, God in them was the majority in the world. Boy, we could use that again, couldn't we? We could use that again that God wants to tell his people today. God wants to tell you, God wants to tell every one of you, not in an arrogant way. No, not at all, but in a very humble way. Not in an arrogant way that says to people outside of Christianity that we don't, we don't need you in the sense that we don't, we don't want you. But we don't need their approval. That's just the truth. We, 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 don't, we, don't, need, we don't need Congress. We don't have to check with Congress to see what laws they pass to find out what we should be doing. We don't need to check even with the Supreme Court and find out the latest decisions they've made to find out what is truth and what should we be believing. No, no, no we observe the laws, yes. We come under those laws, yes. But our final authority is God. Our final authority is God, amen? Our final authority is Jesus. And it's, 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 it's not a feeling, it's a truth. Such a powerful principle. If we will clarify our faith again, we will get back to living out the principle that ultimately God is the only one that matters. See, society will almost always give us one of two ways to think about a thing. You're against that or you're for it. But God's way is always the third way. 
So we sort of make every, we kind of tick everybody off, you know, <laughs> when you follow God. <laughs> well, I've got to figure out how to, how to, how to end this message before it ends. <laughs> let's talk a little bit, let's end up talking about Christian liberty, and we'll talk about, maybe, maybe we'll get back to, we, we've got to finish this message, it's too important. So we'll, we'll come back next week and talk about... Uh, Community, because that's what that's that's so important in this conversation about what are our standards, what do we have to do to please God? That's what we want to talk about, and that and that's too important a discussion to try to cram it in in five minutes. But let's talk about let's talk about Christian liberty a little bit. Acts fifteen verse ten. Now then, now he's talking about these Judaizers who want everybody to come under the Torah completely. Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we, no, with exclamation mark, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Tim Keller said, what makes Christianity unique is that all other religions are basically advice. The gospel is not, first of all, advice about what you must do. It's news about what has been done for you by Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, you ought to high-five somebody sitting near you right now. <laughs> so your salvation is not something you achieve, but it's something you receive by Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to stop there today, and I want to pick up there next Sunday and talk about, I want to pick up next Sunday and talk about three kinds of bondage that grace is designed to deliver you from. I want to talk next Sunday about three kinds of bondage that grace is designed to deliver you from. But I'm reminded we used to sing this song that says... Jesus, be the center. Be my source, be my light, Jesus. We have this natural tendency to think that our liberty either comes from being our own master, or we think our liberty will come from finding this perfect human master. And so we join this or that. Some may even join the church thinking that. I'm going to, those, those guys that, you know, Bethany Community Church and Pastor Phil, that's the, the, those are the perfect people to tell me everything to do with my life, right? So I find people go to the, one of the two extremes. They either, I'm my own master, or they look to human beings, human organizations. But that song really says it all. And it says the essence of the gospel and the clarity of the gospel is that Jesus Christ becomes the center of your life. How he lived, how he thought, how he demonstrated his life, how he walked. He said, follow me. Follow me. The way he lived, the way he thought, the way he talked, the way he related to others, the way he loved, the way he cared, the way he lived the risen life even before he was raised from the dead. And the way he still, the Bible says, 
daily prays and makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And the way he does show up with presence and with power, true freedom is when you and I truly make Jesus not our government, not our group, but we truly make Jesus the center of our lives.